Welcome to episode 30.5 of the How Did Happen podcast, hosted by Mike Malatesta. In this episode, Mike explores the one thing that we easily recognize when it's terrible, feel empowered to take on anything when it's great, and can take a lifetime to master. It's leadership. Get your notepad ready because I know you will find some good leadership habits you will want to start using right away. I know I did. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, this week's episode, we're going to try something a little bit different. I've gotten some feedback from the listeners, and for some reason, people have expressed an interest in knowing a little bit more about me, kind of what makes me tick. They're hearing about you know, all these great leaders that we've had on the show, and they're super interested in all those people, but some, for some reason, they're saying, well, what, what, what are you all about? So today, I'm going to share a little bit about what I'm all about. I'm going to do it through an article that I wrote. And second, I've gotten some feedback that it would be nice to kind of sprinkle in some shorter episodes. So the normal episode is about an hour, which is, it takes that to really interview someone thoroughly and get a good picture of of who the person is. And I I don't want to get away from that. Uh, But I have gotten some feedback that, you know, maybe every so often we'll sprinkle in a shorter episode. So I'm going to respond to that feedback and and do some shorter episodes. I, I won't replace the weekly episodes with shorter ones, but maybe I'll sprinkle in a midweek episode like this one, for example, uh, and um, as a compliment or as a addition to to the weekly show. So I hope you like it. Let me know what you think. Uh, this week, uh, I'm going to read an article that I wrote called Leadership Habits That Work, for me at least. There are so many people writing about leadership these days that it feels close to impossible to know who's right about what leadership really looks like and who's not. There are tons of varying opinions, and most sound convincing. It's everywhere. There's leadership advice from ex-Navy SEALs, from corporate CEOs, from unicorn startup founders, Shark Tank celebrities, and from people like me that you've never heard of. Impressive people, uh, author excluded, of course, with amazing leadership experiences and perspectives. Can they all be right, even if they don't agree? Anything's possible. While I enjoy reading the books, I also wonder, do I really need to read a book that tells me how to be a good leader? The answer is no. That doesn't mean that these books aren't useful. They are, especially for reinforcing what most leaders or people in leadership positions who may or may not be real leaders themselves, already know. For me, being a good or maybe even a great leader doesn't only come down to having an understanding of what good leadership takes. It also comes down to the execution of what it takes, to the doing of what it takes, to the habits of what it takes. I'm not about to pretend that I know for sure exactly what it takes to be a good leader. I don't. What I do know is what's worked for me and gave me the ability to lead my company from a two-person startup to a 150-person regional industry transformer. It came down to the careful, constant, and admittedly imperfect application of the following 10 leadership habits. Number one, stay calm. There are situations that warrant a leader going berserk preventing a serious and imminent accident and or spotting an IED or a bomb threat come to mind. But in business, at least in my experiences, these situations are rare 
and infrequent. As a result, remaining calm, at least on the outside, was always the right approach for me. Yes, things will go wrong, sometimes very wrong. When that happens, it's usually obvious to everyone and not something that only the leader sees. People tend to know when a situation or they themselves is effed up. As a leader, blowing a gasket at these times might feel very quote-unquote in charges, but it doesn't help much. On the other hand, remaining calm helps a lot, not just to diffuse the situation, but also to make the F-up appear manageable, as almost all are. Staying calm conveys that the situation is just another thing that we can handle and learn from, which is almost always the case. In other words, business as usual, carry on. Number two, be real. I'm about the furthest anyone can be from a small talker, rah-rah-er, or a tell-it-like-I-see-it, no matter what kind of leader. I'm no good at the first two, and I don't feel the need to be. And I've never found much value or appreciation for the leaders who value their own unfilteredness. My belief system goes something like this. I care about the people I work with, and I'm willing and able to empathize with and strive to understand what makes them who they are. I'll remember most, but not all, of what I learn about them, and I will care about what's going on in their lives, particularly as it relates to how it affects their performance at work. I won't BS them with some fabricated authenticity or other connection tactics that waste their time and mine. I won't embarrass or marginalize them with my quote-unquote brilliant and unfiltered say-what's-on-my-mind BS. That just never felt right to me. I'm not the most mature person in the world, but I'm mature and self-aware enough to get that what's important isn't how quickly I can respond, but instead how thoughtfully I can. I can hate your idea and I can be pissed off about what just happened or what you just said, but as the leader, I'm already in charge. So do I really need to drive that already known point home to make you feel like I just stepped on you? I never thought so. Sometimes the low-hanging fruit is best kept on the vine. Number three, ask questions. Nobody likes to know it all, and too many leaders I've experienced pretend to be just that. I think I understand why. It's because these leaders often do know more than those with whom they've surrounded themselves. In my experience, this has usually been done intentionally. The leader likes being right and isn't afraid to pretend he or she is especially when, when surrounded by the leader's own hand-picked team of yes folks. I know because I've been that way myself, and probably more often than I care to admit. But where I've made the most progress as a leader is when I've asked my team questions and then shut up. The team is there for a reason, after all. It's not to do what I say. It's to be challenged to learn and grow. That won't happen by me telling them what to do. It may, though by asking them how they might do it. Number four, listen. If I'm willing to ask, I also need to be willing to shut up and listen. I get it, it's hard. Especially when it feels to me like the person I'm listening to is accelerating toward a cliff they don't see coming or are otherwise headed down a path to nowhere. In these cases, I practice my breathe in for two, exhale out for four technique to help me keep listening. 
Since the chances are good that they aren't literally speeding towards a cliff that will kill them or ruin the company, my job is to keep actively listening and, when appropriate, ask the right questions to move the discussion and the person forward to a great or at least better place. Number five, decide. When, a, when the asking and listening are done and a decision is required, which isn't always the case, the leader owes the team a decision. I'll think about it is an okay yet temporary strategy, and it needs a by-when date so that people aren't waiting forever and so that the leader isn't fooled into thinking that time heals all wounds or that people forget over time. They don't. A yes is better than a maybe. A no is better than a never got back to me. The leader's job is not about making all the decisions, but when a decision from the leader is needed, it needs to come. Number six, be clear. Just because I think something doesn't mean that everyone else will get what I'm thinking. This has historically been one of my most frustrating leadership weaknesses. I believe that if I set the example, people would follow the example. I was often wrong about that. I believe that if I said it once, everyone had it. I was often wrong about that. I believe that if I said it to someone, they would deliver it to others exactly the way we discussed. I was often wrong about that. And finally, I believe that if I said a little about what was clear to me, the person or persons to whom I was talking would easily see into my mind to connect the part of the unsaid with the said. By now you get that I was being anything but clear. I was expecting people to practice osmosis, which it turns out is an impossible expectation, particularly when mind readers weren't my audience. I learned and am still learning that I can't expect people to understand the mission if I don't give them the whole story. It can be a challenge to slow down and make sure you're being clear. The temptation is to run as fast as your mind can run. But it's not just about you. I found that if I was expecting my team to execute at a level that it would eventually be multiple X times where we are today, I owed them the clarity and the direction that comes with being clear. Number seven, learn. Albert Einstein is famous for suggesting that no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. At some point, I feel like you learn all there is to learn about leading from inside the walls of your company. Maybe that takes six months or maybe six years, but the time comes. And then what? Too often, when that time comes, leaders simply quit learning because they have effectively become experts in the very small world that is their own. But what about that huge untapped learning opportunity in the world outside the company? Could there be some things out there that would be good to know, exciting to know, beneficial to know? Things that could slash the frequency and time spent in your company making mistakes, doing things manually that could be automated, unleashing efficiency gains that remain hidden in your expertise, or prepare you to lead at a level exponentially above where you are leading now? I was dumb. For a long time, I built walls around my first company, inside of which I remained, and my learning suffocated. Although I hadn't learned the trade, I became a competent mason. I felt fine because I didn't realize that there was a better way to feel, 
building walls felt right to me. I felt smart because I didn't realize how dumb I was. After a decade of isolation, it finally dawned on me that instead of getting sharper every day, I was dulling. My brain and my creativity were atrophying. My curiosity, rotting. My excitement, dimming. What a waste. Then I busted myself out. I started slowly joining a small business CEO group to test the waters. Not bad. It was comfortable, I thought. Smart people I would not have otherwise met doing cool things I otherwise would have no idea about. From there, it spread. I got my learning mojo back. I joined groups that were at a higher level and put me in the company of leaders who were at a higher level as well. Leaders who would share their ideas and inadequacies and who weren't afraid to challenge my thinking and vice versa. Breaking out made me realize that leadership is a lifetime learning proposition and that the real learning in life happens in the school that's out there beyond my self-constructed walls. Number eight, take the blame. A leader takes the blame. As a leader, it's always your fault. Unless you're a politician, of course, and then it's always some other person's fault, which seems like a paradox in leadership, but I digress. As I see it, if you're a leader and you're not willing to take responsibility for what happens under your watch, you're in the wrong position. Sure, you may not have been the person who made the mistake or did whatever wasn't supposed to be done, but that doesn't mean you're not responsible. We burned down a plant. I didn't set the fire, but it was my fault because there were things I could have and should have done or made sure were done, but did not. My fault. We contaminated our plant with a nasty toxin that caused us to shut down for a time and a lot of other painful harm. Sure, I didn't bring the material in myself, but I knew there was a risk that this getting into the plant was at least possible and that it had ruined other companies that had let it in. And I still didn't provide the tools and policies necessary to detect and prevent the toxin from coming in. My fault. It would have been easy for me to blame someone else for these things, and a lot more things that went terribly wrong over the years, but it also would have been weak and wrong. It grates me when I hear a leader blame someone else for something that went wrong on their watch. I wonder to myself, nice story, but who does that help? Number nine, be grateful. If you ever get to the point where your leadership style makes others around you feel unimportant, marginalized, or scared, I hope someone has the courage to call you out for being an a-hole, or better yet, that you have a sliver of self-awareness needed to recognize and correct it yourself. I was taught to appreciate what I have and how I got to have it. While you may have outstanding intellect and ability, it's unlikely that you'd be close to where you are today if it wasn't for the people who do the work. They're the important ones, not you. Any good leader knows that and treats everyone around them the way they deserve to be treated. Be nice, be grateful, appreciate, it's free. Number 10, believe. Leadership is a belief system and it's infectious. If you believe, and use that belief as fuel, anything is possible. If, on the other hand, you don't believe, you're doomed. 
I read a book recently called You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, which I highly recommend, by the way. A former Navy SEAL, plus, 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 plus. The guy's incredible. In it, he describes our built-in self-limiting belief system. He calls it our mind governor, which causes most of us to perform at only 40% of our true capability. 40%. I imagine if he's right, just imagine if he's right. Even if he's only half right or a quarter right, our ability to achieve what we believe appears to be exponentially higher than what we might naturally be inclined to believe. What an opportunity to 10x, 20x, or 100x your thinking. And the great thing is that once you believe, it opens everyone you lead to believe as well, to disconnect their own mind governors to help you achieve goals that they may never otherwise have had the courage to pursue were it not for your belief and belief in them. A leader's job is to maximize every resource in their possession to take each resource to a higher level of productivity, to encourage themselves and their teams to leave their mind governors at home, to rewire their notion of self-limits, and to leave the 40% folks in their dust. Well, that's it. I hope uh, some of that resonated with you. As I said, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do anything. These are just things that I've experienced and have come to believe work uh, for me. And maybe they will for you as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How Did Happen podcast, where we believe that success doesn't happen unless you make it happen. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. And while you're there, please rate it and leave a comment as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show, ideas for future guests, or whatever you'd like to share. And of course, you can always find me at MikeMalatesta.com. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to the How Did Happen podcast.